Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. A lot of people are talking about how this month is feeling a lot like that one time in March of 2020. We are seeing record high numbers of cases of COVID across the U.S. More and more people I know are getting sick. But I do feel like there are two super important distinctions to be had from almost two years ago. One of those is the fact that a lot of us are vaccinated and boosted. And the other is that at least theoretically, there's a lot of available testing out there. Uh, With that said, I am still super confused about how I should be moving through the world right now. And it seems like y'all are, too, because when we asked listeners for questions, someone who goes by Teeny Poo on Instagram wanted to know, why is this still happening and can we just not? So here to help us navigate is Dr. Emily Landon, Nerdette's resident epidemiologist. She's an infectious disease specialist at the University of Chicago. Emily, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, can we just not? <laughs> no, uh, we're kind of doing that. It's not going very well, is it? Um, oh. Yeah, this is, I have decided officially that January belongs in 2021 and that I'm okay. not starting the new year until 20, until February. Okay, great. Well, that's, that's, a, that's something we can do. I like that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like, what do you think? I assume things aren't quite as drastic as last winter, right? Like, oh, do no. we, do we need to be potting up as intensely? It's really, so like, should we need to go back to pods? So here's here's what I think is happening. Um, healthcare is being crushed, absolutely crushed, because yeah. there's unmitigated yeah. transmission of an incredibly transmissible virus. Now, the good news is that a lot of vaccinated people are going to be just fine. Vaccinated and boosted people are going to be just fine if they get if they get COVID. Some of them will have bad infections and end up in the hospital. Some of them will have um, will end up with long COVID or organ damage, but a lot fewer than with previous waves. And a lot, you know, sort of it's still a low number, a low number to begin with, and then less than what we would have seen with with Delta. And so that's the good news. The bad news is that it Omicron does not care how much vaccine you've gotten. It is more than happy to make you sick enough to spread it to other people. And okay. it is taking advantage of the smorgasbord of individuals out there who are vaccinated and not taking any precautions and then getting them sick and then spreading it to other people. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, you keep hearing, I see, keep seeing on on, uh, on Twitter, like a small percentage of a large number is still a really big number. And that's, Exactly right. I mean, you know that from your student loans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I sure do. Don't mind that extension, let me yeah. say. And so healthcare workers feel really bad. And then a lot of people, you know, got burned out and quit. One in five healthcare workers quit. And now um, a lot of them are getting COVID the same way everybody else is at the grocery store, at the library, at the gym. Right. So, yeah. Can we talk about precautions then? Like, yeah. so do you think we should be going back to pods? I think that the toughest part about this part of the pandemic is that the individual badness, if you get COVID, is actually pretty low for most people. And mm-hmm. so while, you know, 
I've heard that on Fox News they're calling it the Oma Cold and making fun of everyone. Oh no. Um, but I gotta be honest with you, they're not wrong, right? So for a lot of people, it is gonna be an Oma Cold. The sure. problem is that that's not everybody. And if and if we have so many people spreading around the Oma Cold, but then every once in a while it gets into somebody and isn't the Oma Cold anymore, it's the Oma Monster or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. then yeah. then it's better for everybody if there's less Omicron spreading around. You, you asked, what can we do to be protected? We need to be wearing better masks, period. I so was, like KN95s. Yeah. I was a big proponent of fabric masks in the beginning. And I still am if you have one that fits you super well and it's got silk in it and multiple layers, but most people don't have that. So yeah. really you need to be wearing a KN95, an N95 or a KF94. And okay. those are the only masks that are really making a difference. Okay, so masks, better masks. Yeah, and we've got to really cut back on our contacts. I mean, everybody can spread COVID. And so while you may not get very sick, that's not a good idea. Less COVID is better for everybody. I think it's a really tough time. I think it's really hard. I think I can understand why people are like, I am so sick of all this. So when when you say limiting contacts, like, does this mean I should be picking one family that I'm hanging out with? Can I, if I see like one person a week, is that okay? Like, what are you thinking about in terms of that seeing friends? I think a good rule of thumb would be to make your, your friend circle small. Um, if you haven't had Omicron yet and you're, um, and you want to, I think everybody should make reasonable effort to try and avoid getting Omicron. You don't want to have Mm -hmm. COVID or bad outcomes. So I think if you have not yet had Omicron, so you're not immune to Omicron, mm-hmm. then you should probably go back to what you were doing at the probably last winter, in the middle of last winter surge before you got vaccinated. So I would okay. say really limited individuals because this isn't going to go on for that many more weeks. We're going to be done with this in a few right. weeks. So just sort okay. of hunker down for a little bit. And so I assume same with like something like a haircut or going to the museum, like you're recommendation would probably be just like, you know what, like, let's just check in in 2022, which starts in February. Well, I would love to say that we should keep all of these economic things going and that it'd be best for you to patronize your local museum and go and get your haircut. Support your haircutter. Yeah. I can't, I can't really say that safely because your haircutter could be, you know, sitting there in a not great fabric mask, cutting the hair of people wearing not great fabric masks. And have completely run out of any, you know, she probably doesn't have sick pay. She probably doesn't have a test to test herself multiple times. You can't really get a PCR anytime soon because the lines are so long for testing. So we've sort of created a situation where participating in the economy right now comes with a significant amount of risk. Yeah. One thing I was wondering about is like you... You hinted that maybe like that we need to lock it down. We need to, you know, do some hunkering, consider hibernation. I'm curious what the criteria should be for those of us who are like, okay, I'm going to give it, you know, two or three or four weeks. And then I want to be able to poke my head up out of the hole and look around and like, and, you know, how do I assess when it is safe to start, you know, gathering in bigger groups or, you know, get my hair cut or whatever. Yeah. So when I've said this before, and I'll say it again, when you're on the way up, when on your way up the slope, the numbers are always lagging behind and things are much worse outside than the numbers say. When you're coming down, it's the other way around. But I have to put a big caveat on this. There's so much limitations in terms of testing that we Mm -hmm. have to be careful right now. I think some of the plateau in the numbers is because people just can't get tested. 
And so they're just staying home or using a, a or not staying home or using an, a, an antigen test and not reporting it because it's very difficult to do that. So I think you have to not just look at the cases coming down and the percent positivity, but you really need to look at hospitalizations coming down. And to be honest okay. with you, I think things are going to be looking pretty good in February. I okay. can't promise that. I think there is some risk involved in the sort of delayed start of school, but we should see the fallout from that in the next week or two. And hopefully we can be looking at February as our new year, which is great. That would, that would be great. I think that would be a really nice quick turnaround to this little miserable January. Right. Okay, February. I mean, I feel like we can work with that. Uh, All right. After the break, we are going to get to a listener question about whether it is safe for kids to be going to schools. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Obviously, a huge question right now is around schools. It's been a really big debate, especially here in Chicago. We heard from a listener, Anne, who wanted to know if closing schools due to exposures really does help reduce outbreaks significantly. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I will tell you this. The real problem with the school debate is that we are faced with, again, a a false dichotomy. The option is not either open schools or closed schools. There should be no choice. There should be no option. It should be we have to, the imperative is to make schools safe enough for there to be no question that we would open them. But right. obviously that's not on the table for people, right? The, the table is make, it, the only options available to people are closed schools, which is terrible for children, or open schools, but they're not actually going to be able to do the majority of things that they need to do in order to avoid spreading COVID to kids, even though we're mm-hmm. are not 100% sure about the outcomes in kids with Omicron. You know, so those are not fair choices. And the, uh, the best option do what we need to do to prepare our schools so that we can cope with these kinds of outbreaks and keep them open and make other sacrifices in other parts of the economy in order to be able to prioritize children in school. Are not, those are not on the table, apparently. They should be. Yeah. That's the only thing that I want. I think it's really challenging to keep schools open right now because lunch is really hard the way that our schools are set up. And it's a yeah. big, big, um, big, big point of contention. Like there's a school can be 100% safe, but if you if you don't have any way to make lunch feasible, you can't just not feed the children. So, you, you know, yeah. so yeah. I think the answer is um, we shouldn't rely on closing schools to control transmission in our community. That should not be the one lever that we have to pull. Um, so the I don't know whether it's best. And I think that the decision about whether it's best to open one individual classroom or school is it really comes down to the specific situation in that particular place. Okay, so here's a big question. This is from Betsy. Uh, What about families who have young kids who aren't yet eligible to be vaccinated? um, Yeah, this is the tragedy of the pandemic. So the littlest kids that can't yet be vaccinated, this is horrifying to me. I can't imagine the difficulty that I would have if I had a young child. And I get asked this question all the time. And I'm really sorry for everybody in that situation, because it is not easy right now. Mm -hmm. Here's what here's what I'll say. Omicron doesn't look like it's really dangerous to little kids. 
They are getting hospitalized more often because it looks like Omicron is causing more of a croup syndrome and parents of young kids will probably know a little bit more about this. So and that's like is, a bad cough, right? When they cough and whoop and can't really oh, yeah. um, breathe okay. very well, their airways mm-hmm. really swollen. And that is fixable with the same medicines that we use to treat other croup in the hot, but it requires often a hospital stay. And so it can be, and it's terrifying for parents. I don't, I oh, can't imagine seeing my child not be able to breathe. So yeah. This is, um, but the good news is the kids that are being admitted for stuff like that are going home pretty quickly and they're getting better. And it's not very many kids compared to the number of kids that actually have Omicron right now. But I think, um, so I think that there's a certain amount of inevitability that some kids at that age group are definitely going to get COVID. Um, I don't think I would, I think it's easy for me to say, but it's much harder when you're the parent. But I would say, try not to beat yourself up too much about it. Take all the reasonable precautions, but you sort of have to live in the society that you're in. And you've been held hostage by the people that don't want us to ever let COVID get in the way of anything enough that they're, you know, creating so much COVID that there's COVID getting in the way of everything. But um, (laughs) it is really ironic when you put it that way. (laughs) Yeah. But that's kind of what's happening, right? Yeah. Right. So, I mean, we're not willing to do this stuff, like get all the tests out there, get the masking out there. We're not willing to be proactive. We're not willing to plan for ventilation in schools and and upgrade those things because, oh, it's probably not going to happen. And then when it happens, we're like, oh, it it can't be that bad. Right. Mm. I mean, like, it's just, it's like just this, it's, it's theater. It's not, it, the lack of, connection with reality is really hard for me. I mean, you have to, I bet, I bet sort of live in this state of suspended disbelief. I think if you're a parent of a small child, you feel the same way. Like everybody's walking around saying no big deal. And you're like, yeah, it is. Yeah. And you just have to, I can, it's a completely different world inside the hospital than it is outside the hospital. That's all I can say is that the people who are telling you that it's not a big deal have no idea what they're talking about. Oh God. Um, okay, so you've mentioned testing a couple of times. We have questions about that. Yeah, um, so do I. My, <laughs> so, you know, I've managed to find a couple over-the-counter tests now. Um, I understand that, like, it makes total sense to take one of those tests if I'm symptomatic to make sure it is or is not COVID. Yeah, you probably should take two if you're symptomatic. Okay, take two if you're symptomatic. Good to know. So yeah, what are other circumstances when you recommend testing? Like, you know, over the holidays, you know, we did a New Year's Eve thing and four of us took tests ahead of time and hung out. None of us have gotten sick. You know, like, is that what we should be doing? So I think that we're right now we're in this sort of like the big, the maximal part of Omicron. And I would probably be avoiding unmasked um, gatherings of more than a couple people. And and you got to be willing to get COVID if you're going to be unmasked around anybody right now. Um, So that's the first thing. Um, I think you can use them in that scenario to reduce the risk, but they are not going to be perfect. Because what we do know is that I think you've been hearing that some of the testing has been a little bit less sensitive with Omicron. There's a lot of reasons for that. That's being sorted out with science. But again, you know, this is a newer disease. So you have to sort of, you know, tread with caution at the beginning. Um, Still, it looks like there's some new data out that is, you know, saying that these rapid antigen tests are just as good as they've always been. And that that's to say not quite as good at picking up every last little viral particle as a PCR test would be, but still good enough that they're reliable when you need them to be. And PCRs are becoming harder and harder to get. Mm -hmm. So I think that the appropriate use of these tests is if you're symptomatic and you want to test you're not probably going to be able to get in easily for a PCR anyway. So I think mm-hmm. it's reasonable if you've got them to use the rapid antigen test. You have to remember, though, that they're often 
they can be negative very early on in symptoms. So you probably want to do exactly what it says on the box. And if it's negative, wait 36 to 48 hours. I would say at least 48, to be honest with you, and repeat the test. And in that time, you need to stay isolated. You need to, okay. there's so many people with COVID that you need to assume that you have COVID if you have any symptoms. Of right, right. Okay. And then if that second one is negative, then you can start, you know, maybe you schedule a PCR test. And then if that second one's negative, you go to it. Otherwise you cancel if it's positive. Um, that's how I would probably do it. If you need a faster answer to get back to work, then you may need to get a PCR earlier, that sort of thing. But that's the right thing to do. The other good use of these tests, I think, is at the end of illness, knowing when it's okay to come out of isolation. Mm. There's been a lot of you. There's been a lot of drama about this change in the isolation time. I think that the recommendation from the CDC is not great. CDC is saying if you want to leave your isolation after five days, you can as long as you're well. But you can't do anything unmasked around other people, and that is a part that I don't think people are doing. So no eating in the break room at work unless it's empty. No eating, no drinking at your desk, no going out with friends. Certainly some people are fine by day six and, and okay to return, but I, I don't think everybody is. And using these tests at the end of illness in order to see if you're still positive is probably reasonable. Mm-hmm. If the lines really, you can test on whenever you're asymptomatic again, whenever you're back to normal, you can use it to test. A lot of people are going to be still positive. If that line's still really dark, then you might you should just wait 48 hours before you even retest, but then you can retest after that. And, and I think at day 10, some people are still having positive lines, but they're really, really faint. They're probably near, like they're probably not very dangerous to other people. I think, I think after day 10, you're good to go. I think that's been a pretty solid, good recommendation. Very few people are still positive at that point. I didn't realize that the darkness of that line was... Wow. Very interesting. So something we've talked about in the past, uh, which I wanted to revisit is the idea of herd immunity, because we heard from a couple listeners too, Liz and Steph, we're both wondering about this. Like, it kind of seems like we might actually get there with Omicron, huh? Well, I think Omicron's going to help. It's really hard to achieve herd immunity with a respiratory mm-hmm. virus because the immunity sort of goes up and down after you've been infected. What you really want is some sort of like personal baseline immunity so that your body has like sort of a broad spectrum of, of an immune response to uh, to COVID so that when it comes around, if you get it, it's just, an, it's just a cold, right? And yeah. that that's going to take some time to build that up. And so I think that we're going to get a lot bigger cushion of immunity after this. So I anticipate that we'll see like sort of a lot of people who are getting sick with Omicron. There'll be a lot of people with hybrid immunity with both immunity from getting sick and immunity from the vaccine. And that's going to do us a lot of good in future waves. But I think we're doing a lot of damage right now. Yeah. Um, Ashley wanted to know about antibodies. How long do your antibodies last once you've gotten, if you do get Omicron? Well, I, we don't know yet because we, sure. I mean, Omicron's too new, but, um, the, in general antibodies are just, remember just one piece of your immune response. Your immune response is layered and it, it mm-hmm. includes other things besides just the antibodies, but antibodies, I think the ones you're talking about, or at least I think Ashley's talking about are these sort of, I think of them as like the bouncers of the immune system. They're sort <laughs> of, they I like that. I, well, bald guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, something like that. They are little Y-shaped things, actually, and they um, they uh, attach to the COVID before it even gets to your cells, and they bind to the place where COVID would usually bind um, to get into a door. So imagine like somebody grabbing onto your hand and then just holding onto it, so you couldn't oh, even open the door. Yeah. And um, same sort of thing. 
Uh, so I think of them as like these surveillance, the, these neutralizing antibodies, right? The, those are the ones that keep you from getting sick. And those don't last very long with, with any, with COVID so far. I can't imagine that the Omicron ones are going to stick around any longer than the other ones, but maybe I'll be wrong. Um, but it looks like we're getting like six months to 12 months of them after, after vaccination. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that really keep you from getting sick, but they okay. are not they're not the ones that keep you from having a severe outcome. That's just the one that's just like sort of the first layer. And they're great because they, for the next six months or so, we should be pretty, I I think this, this spring and this summer are going to look really good for us. I I really think there's a very good good chance that we're going to get a little break here, a real break, a bigger break than we had before. I could, there, obviously there could always be something new on the horizon, but honestly, if that happens, I might quit. Emily, oh honey, oh my God! I'm gonna buy you a million beers this summer. I'm not sure that's gonna help. I mean, I don't know. I think. Look, you know what really is gonna help? Being able to just go and get the beers. Like, right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. So this, I think, this actually segues perfectly into my last question, which is from Sarah, who wrote to us on Instagram. Sarah said, surely this is it, right? Omicron feels like the final boss. I know you oh, can't possibly predict the future, but totally like... totally does feel like the final boss, though, doesn't right? it? Right? Yeah. I get it. But then you know how sometimes there's a final boss, and then you beat it, and it's really, really hard, and then there's another bigger boss, and you're like, God. <laughs> and I cannot figure out what book we're in, mm-hmm. if it's a story, because this okay. is a terrible book. And I want us to be done with this book. And I think whoever is writing it is doing a terrible job because it's not even that interesting. So I, I am, I am completely oh in agreement. This, but I don't think there is a the biology doesn't work that way. So there is no, yeah. there is, it's not a story, right? It's not, it's not, um, it's just not a story. Well, I wish the news were better, but this is still super like you've provided a lot of clarity for me in terms of like what I need to be doing. And I imagine you will be for listeners as well. And I am super grateful for that, even though I wish the news were better and hope it will be eventually. You think I like giving people bad news all the time? No, I don't. (laughs) Which is why I extra love you, Emily. (laughs) I I love you too, Greg. (laughs) Okay, well, I feel like we should just all take a big, heavy sigh together and... Do some solitary meditation for the rest of January. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. 30 days of yoga. Let's do it. Okay, that's it for this week. Thanks so much to all of you who sent in questions. I know that was a heavy conversation, but I hope it still at least helped to provide some clarity for you. I know it definitely did for me. And I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about all of us just celebrating the start of a fabulous 2022 together in February. In the meantime, I hope you can take care and hunker down. As always, you know, we have a bunch of fun stuff in our newsletter that you can do from the comfort of your own home. You can sign up for that at wbez.org slash nerdataf. And, you know, we would also love to hear about what has been helping get you through this very weird January. You can chime in over in our Facebook group. It's called Nerdette Headquarters, and you can join at facebook.com slash groups slash HQ. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman, and our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. I hope you have a cozy AF weekend. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen 
as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.